and welcome to the Art Guide Australia podcast with Tiani Mikus. For this episode, I caught up with Melbourne-based artist Simone Slee. For almost two decades, Simone's practice has centred on performance-based sculptural works. This spans everything from costume designs that expose the wearer's belly button, cucumbers supporting sculptural works, and using human props to hold up curved pieces of cardboard. On the one hand, Simone's art looks at the basic elements of sculpture, things such as time, gravity, materials, and weight. Yet her work also considers questions of failure, vulnerability, and the possibility that, within our day-to-day lives, we may be able to do things otherwise. I know you have a background in landscape architecture where you obviously would have created very functional and practical objects. So how did you come to creating art and these more irrational sculptures? That's a very interesting question. And um, it is true. When I first left home, I studied landscape architecture and then subsequently worked for many years. That was my day job. However, um, in the process of being a landscape architecture working for a company, one of the things that I really felt like I was needing that was not really um, able to be done in terms of the, of the design process was I really needed to work beyond modes of representation to actually work with the actual materials and objects themselves. In design, you're often at a desk and you're making up drawings in which for somebody else to move. So that was the first impetus to really go to art school um, in which to, um, in fact, work directly with the materials that would then determine what the actual forms and objects that I made. And so in my then as I continued afterwards I was juggling between art school and art making artworks and projects and working uh, in urban design offices and indeed I was actually producing quite functional objects in streetscapes. And interestingly enough by chance um I started making objects that actually stretched these concepts of function uh, and in particular an important uh, artwork that I made at that time was um, a series of body suits called the on body suits that rather than um, being they did both they were both functional in that there was something that you could actually wear and protect but at the same time these body suits which were made out of vinyl um, had a circular center where the tummy region was exposed, so they both exposed uh, the body as well as protected it. So this idea of um, maybe not so much irrational but an alternative function for an object um, and and its use really came out through this particular series of um, artworks called the On Body Suit. Talking about those early body works that you did, such as On, uh, it's not a very sexualized exploration of the body, and I sort of wonder what interests you so much about the body. Well, I suppose really it was interesting just listening to your past um, interview with Lindy Lee, actually, and I have to say there was something that really resonated with me. One of the first things you do, as she said, in terms of experiencing the world, is you do that through the body. And for me, in the making of my sculptural practice, it is what you you do, your body is the um, material in which you move objects and relate to other materials as you're producing an artwork. So for many years, um, I've actually always been placing my 
body and its actions within the process of making sculpture. So it was a natural, um, and the idea is that you do things with objects and have actions associated with them and materials really was a natural consequence of um, how you process uh, materials. And so I guess it was really coming from that perspective at that time, which was when I was um, doing my master's, I'd made a series of work called Forms Connote Actions, where I was specifically looking at different parts of the body in relationship to sculptural objects. So I'd made an, um, a performance work where I was um, with a sculptural object um, with an action with my sister. We were um, banging heads together with a, a sculptural um, object in between. And then I moved on to the stomach. And I think one of the reasons for using the stomach, which is what generated that particular on work, was that the stomach is really, uh, for me, and I think for many people, the seat of emotions. It's really where anxiety is housed and where we um, also have gut, gut instincts or drives. And so that location of the body was something that particularly interested me in terms of um, vulnerability and a kind of emotional intelligence at the same time. So, and I guess too, the belly button is an, also an orifice that connects back to the mother. And indeed, it's an orifice that up until, of course, through the 60s and 70s, the acknowledgement of the sexualized body was a really key part of um, performance art. And I guess I was looking for ways to extend that um, interest in orifices beyond that more overt sexualized reading into a more of a sense of uh, the vulnerable and the emotional, I guess. So would it be correct to say then that you're interested in the way certain designs and our material environment affect our actions and our agency? Yeah, I think it's such an interesting um, question, actually, because I think through my experience and practice of making art, what's really become apparent is that uh, with the use of our body, we, I guess, there's a tradition, Conventionally, in Western thought, we often think of ourselves, the human-centric approach to um, the way we think of and construct our world is that we impress our will or intentions onto materials and other objects to do certain things or to have particular functional or, or um, certain kind of desired outcomes. Yet, in fact, I think what does happen in equal measure, and if not more, is that those things that um, objects and materials also cause us to behave and, in fact, change us. So I'm interested in the way that both materials and objects can change the way we behave and activate us as much as we can um, activate them. You coined the term ab-functional for your work. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, it functioned really. I was talking before about the on-body suits and I just briefly mentioned that then where I was just looking for a term to... Ex In fact, I had to do a lecture and I was trying to explain um, what these objects were doing, these sculptural objects that were body suits that people would wear, what they would... how I could um, phrase those out outside of the terms of... that were usually used with multifunctionality or dysfunction... And I really intuited that word to describe the unexpected effects. So that function came up initially um, where I 
better provisional definition of it as um, using perhaps the wrong things for the right things, or the or it's inverse, the right things for the wrong for the wrong reasons. So it came really to do with how you might use objects in ways that are unexpected. But then actually, as my practice has developed and I've um, developed a range of other works, such as um, how long can I hold this up or the hold-up works, it's, the, uh, the concept of ab function really actually helps has helped me understand the way that um, in the process of making an artwork with the actions associated with different materials, using time, um, etc., that in fact uh, there can be a detour or an, a diversion away from where you expect to go. And actually, if you allow the materials to act back on you uh, and and objects as well, you will come up with an unexpected outcome. And really, ab function is talking about the way ab really means away, and it really is. A, away from the role of function uh, within the making of the artwork or the use of the generally understood use of the object. What do you think happens then if we get beyond this typical divide of function and dysfunction? Well, I think that's such an interesting question because I think for um, all of us, I mean, in making out, I think this role of ab function is quite common um, within the production of contemporary art. Actually, when you begin to look more deeply into the processes of its making, I think it's also a really useful way of thinking about the way we operate in the world. What it does is rather than having a binary where something works or it doesn't work, you get this third alternative where something new emerges out of that process that allows for other ways or unexpected things to occur. And I think when when you're whether whether you're making art or whether you're in a process of um, any kind of uh, role, you can actually... So it's a really useful way to realise that um, alternative options can that may be completely unexpected um, can arrive that can be actually as useful as what you were aiming to achieve. As you've discussed, part of something being abfunctional is this element of surprise. And what do you like so much about the unexpected and being surprised? Well, I think it's greater than yourself. <laughs> I think it's the most delightful thing. Um, it It's fabulous and the most... I think one of the things that continues to drive artists to produce work is when an artwork develops, it's... When you're making an artwork, you don't know... You're actually entering into the unknown. And in that process of the unknown, um, and when you are enabled you know, these different kind of processes to take their own path and you're responding to them rather than you driving your own will through, um, unex- these unexpected things occur. And I think it actually enables quite a different perspective on um, the way you were, what it was that you were thinking could happen. And I think that just then opens up a much greater understanding really beyond what you'd ever hope. And I think that's one of the great hooks of making art is that it goes beyond what any of your expectations were. I'm interested in how your work prompts certain private and solitary moments to happen in a public space. And I'm thinking of things like embarrassment and failure and vulnerability. Why do you have such private things play out in public? The idea of vulnerability and failure, um, I think, really key strategies for growth. 
And I think often in the public, there's a very uh, more traditional, and particularly in the culture of success that we're currently in and um, the public face of success, that in fact, success, continual success doesn't drive growth uh, and it doesn't drive change. So what I'm interested in is that interface between uh, this public space where um, these moments of vulnerability and actually the incredible growth and um, strength that comes through acknowledging failure and risk, which can then lead to another outcome. So in the hold-up work, for example, I take a sign that I've written called, How Long Can I Hold This Up? And uh, that work has been going since, oh golly, it's been ongoing work, it's been going since I think 2008. So now, gosh, nearly nine years. And initially, I thought it was humorous that I would be asking myself this task to hold up something light, which is just a piece of card with the text on it, and enacting the obvious. Yet really... um, so there's a kind of humour in that and a sort of and an absurdity associated with this action of holding that up. Yet the idea of implicit in that idea or is also because this it creates a facade against my body, so all you see are my legs and my hands, is that there's a sense of, you know, what is the durational outcome of this? At what point will you fail? And of course, there is no answer to this question. It's a rhetorical question and in fact we all have to keep holding it up. Um, And so that continual idea of exposing the gesture of needing to do that in the public brings forth, rather than the sort of the completely squeaky, clean, sealed idea of success, that there is the potential for failure and risk. Something else that also pervades your work is this idea of failure and your sculptures often fall over or they don't function properly. What do you like so much about failure? Well, I suppose actually one thing was (laughs) really in a way in that context of failure, I suppose really a lot of the practice is centred around questions to do with sculpture and what sculpture should do and what it's... um, what is the parameters of the discipline and the ideas? One of the things that's sort of central to a sculpture, particularly a traditional 19th century sculpture, is that it might stand up. But in fact, by I think also one of the things when you, whatever you do, you need to learn to capitalise on what you're good at. And by chance, <laughs> my sculptures ever since art school fell over. So I would try to make them stand up and then, you know, a truck would rumble by and the whole thing would collapse. So I guess I've always been interested in that tenuousness of what it takes for something. Sometimes when you get to the exact point of what it is it takes for something to stand up, you become more aware of the actual fact that it is standing. And that comes to mind, all the effort that goes towards that particular act. Um, and that also applies to a sculpture. So the idea of holding that point just before something does collapse is important. In other works, I've also been interested in the performance aspect of the sculpture, at what point it may or may not um, manage to maintain its position as a sculptural work. So the ephemeral and momentary act of a sculpture. So those works, there was an early sculpture I made called... Um, 
make a sculpture, watch it fall down, where I had a circular cardboard ring with a um, prop on the back. And after a time, the prop would fatigue and get tired and then the sculpture would um, spontaneously fall to the ground. So as a viewer, you might be walking through um, and it just may suddenly collapse. Another work in that line I also made was where I used a cucumber to hold up um, another sculptural ring. So I guess I'm, again, interested in um, often it's the vulnerable or the overlooked um, objects that actually do do the supporting that holds things up more generally in the world that we exist. And when they, they those things don't go on forever. There's a, a durational uh, and a kind of time that's associated with that. But it isn't just a failure of amateurism either. You know, it has such intention behind it. So I wonder if you see any space for perfectionism in your work or if there's a kind of perfect failure. <laughs> it's so funny you mentioned that because um, I am actually, my husband's always complaining that I'm such a perfectionist because it isn't just the amateur. What often happens though too, these sculptures take a life of their own and sometimes they completely misbehave. So sometimes I want them to fall and they won't fall. <laughs> <laughs> So they'll be standing for too long and they're actually uh, failing at failing. Mm, so mm. so um, they actually, it continually draws to mind that these objects have a life and a world of their own that's determined by their material qualities um, and their circumstances. So uh, there is, there's often a kind of double twist with these works where um they refuse to behave in the way that I want. So they're constantly kicking back and misbehaving. Can you tell me about your upcoming show, Rocks and Things Happy to Help, at Sarah Scout Gallery? Sure. It's an exciting time to develop some new work after a period of time. And once again, this idea of things being happy to help is really happy to help in a sculpture coming into being. It has been something that's been running through the practice for some time uh, now, really since those um, Make a Sculpture, Watch It Fall Down works. And in this particular show, uh, I guess the other lovely thing, about, I'm really interested in this idea of helping because of the idea that helping is an agency that is enabling of other things. And so, in general, that interests me as a kind of generous act towards the world. And in this instance, it's really rocks. I've been using rocks and other things like my body. Well, actually, rocks and, in fact, glass, um, where they've been helping me to make these new sculptural works. So, um, rather than a prop, for example, as I spoke before, um, it is these rocks, etc., so it's a lovely opportunity where I've been developing some new video works where I become a part of in a rock landscape where the rocks provide the framework for me to become a part of a sculptural assemblage of myself, the rocks, and a sculptural object. And uh, they deal with I guess, the ideas of gravity and how those things inform. The other wonderful thing about this exhibition, which I'm pretty excited about, is a new series of sculptures that I've made where I've been using stone um, 
and glass to make new sculptural works where the stone compresses glass bubbles. I had this fabulous opportunity to do a residency at Berlin Glass, which is a wonderful hot glass blowing studio in in Berlin. So coming back from that in July, I've, had, I've been developing those works, making new works where, in fact, the pressures of the rock engage with um, the form and matter of glass. So there's a series of works that, in fact, both of the works uh, engage with what what forces are required to make a sculptural form. So that happens in the glass and sculpture works as well as the video works. As you've touched upon a few times, your work deals with questions raised by sculpture about how it functions and how it works and so on. From all of the pieces you've created, I wonder what you've learnt about sculpture in general and about what it can be. Well, I think the artwork continues to, I guess, surprise me. And I guess one of the things is, um, I think the There's something about uh, the power of the ephemeral and the contingent moment in a sculpture that can actually talk to more than just sculpture itself. Uh, I'm interested in the way that that can have multiple readings in our lives, in the way that um, it talks about broader systems of um, how, you know, an, an environment may work, how one one element is contingent on a, you know, for example, an ecosystem. It, it, it enables me to reflect on those types of things, on the contingent relationships between objects for things to come together in a particular moment. I'm also surprised when um, sculpture also is able to reflect on some uh, sense of the nature of our being, I suppose, on uh, what it is, what it, the effort it takes to produce um, or work towards different connections. So there's something about that that sculpture can also enable. What I'm also amazed about sculpture is the way materials, whatever you tend to use making a sculpture, whatever, it, it will also tell you what it is that you should be doing rather than the other way around. And the way that it actually might activate you to behave in ways you didn't expect. So, I think they're wonderful things um, that teach you about uh, how to be in the world and how to enable other aspects to produce something beyond um, what you might expect. And that was Simone Slee discussing her practice and her most recent exhibition, Rocks and Things Happy to Help at Sarah Scout Gallery, which goes from the 17th of November to the 16th of December. Remember to keep in touch with Art Guide Online or pick up a copy of the latest print edition to keep up to date with exhibitions, news and previews from around Australia.